Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look underneath the seat close to you, and you'll find a hardback black Bible, and you can use that Bible to follow along with. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you. That's a, a gift for you. You can write your name in it and keep it. We don't want to add to your Bible collection that you have, but if you don't own one, you can take that with you. If you're using that hardback Bible, uh, Bible you can turn to page 22, and that'll take you right to Genesis 28. So I'm going to share um, verses 10 through 22 today. We're studying the, a particular story or narrative about a man named Jacob. Jacob and a dream that he had of a ladder that goes from heaven to earth. It's a really interesting story, and I think it has some applications to our own lives today. Um, as you guys turn there, I, I want to share a story with you, and I, I do so under guidance of prayer. I just want you to know the story I'm about to tell you I prayed about because I, as much as I wanted to share it to you because God reminded me of it, um, I thought it could be a bit graphic, and, um, and it's about my wife. And she's here, I think. So um, anyways, I just don't know how it's going to go. So with your permission, I'll, I'll keep going on. Um, a little over 16 years ago, I found myself standing next to a hospital bed as doctors and nurses were attending to my wife. And um, before you think something horrific happened, it was not a car crash or someone falling down the stairs. It was something that I had done. Um, well, we had done it together. We were having a child. That's what I'm trying to say, right? She was, she was giving birth to our first baby. I, I yes, oh, yes, relax. So we, we eventually went on to have two said babies, and I love them dearly. I have two teenage daughters. But this was the birth of our first. Um, and things were kind of st stuck. We were in a stalemate of sorts. My wife had been laboring for 40 hours at this point. Yes, that's like an entire work week, all right there in laboring this little child. And something needed to break through. We just couldn't, we couldn't seem to get past where we are. Um, and then all of a sudden, Riley has her name. She, this is the graphic part. Her, she came out. What her head did, I should say. Um, and in that moment, I'm standing face to face with my daughter, the one I've been dreaming about, the one I've been thinking about, praying for, etc. And And her eyes opened. Dude, and it's in that moment, the world began to move for me. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that literally, the room began to spin. And, I, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, oh no. Like, listen, I have never fainted in my life, but everyone tells me that just before you slip into unconsciousness, there's that real high-pitched kind of wee in your ears before your eyelids just close and you go down. 
in the middle of that high-pitched scream that I'm hearing in my ears, I hear the doctors yelling at me and the nurses, Jeff, sit down, sit down, sit down. You're about to faint. And so I do. I sit down and I have my, my head between my knees. And I'm, I'm literally just holding on barely. And I'm, I'm terrified that I'm going to miss the birth of my daughter. And I, and I hate it. I mean, all of this emotion is swimming through my mind in this nanosecond. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to miss it. And in that moment, I prayed. I don't know if I prayed out loud or in my head. I don't know if I prayed in English or in tongues. Someone say amen. I don't know what I did, but I know this, that God showed up. In in that moment, I, I mean, literally 30 seconds prior, I'm about to fall over. But now with the Lord helping me, I stand up with a surety in my legs, grab my wife's hand as I go next to the bed, and I watch my baby daughter be born. Five pounds. I'm like, 40 hours for five pounds? <laughs> what? I mean, I expected like 20 pounds. Of like a, this little bitty thing. And I, I cut the umbilical cord and I, I watched them clean her and take her over to the scale and, and weigh her and measure her and stamp her little feet with the ink and the whole thing. And I saw it all. I'm reminded of that story this week because I think there are two profound theological ideas, forgive me for that, but there are two things that we need to understand about who God is that will help us to understand this story that we're about to read and will also help us to understand our lives a little differently. The first one is this, is that when we find ourselves in great need, God avails himself to us to help. Yes? Now, I want you to know this. When we say that, we have to understand by no means is God obligated to help us. Because let's be very clear here. If we are worshiping a God that we can somehow make do things, then he is no God at all. Yes? But the fact that he does come to us in our time of need says something about his character, says something about his love and his care for us. He had no reason but for his love and compassion for me in that situation to intervene. He was not obligated to do so. In fact, I made this mess. I'm about to lie in it, so to speak. If I can't handle it, I can't handle it. But that's not who God is. He comes into the middle of that and he helps me. So that's the first thing that I want us to understand, that when we need God, he makes himself available to us. And then secondly, it's, and he does so sometimes in the most ordinary or mundane things in life. Ask the doctors and the nurses um, about that birth. It, they do hundreds, if not thousands of those every year. It's a common practice for them. It's a very simple, ordinary thing. But when God showed up, that simple, ordinary thing became a sacred and holy moment for me. When, when God decided to show up and to help me, I, I never looked back at that time differently in my life. And so for us to understand that as we read the story of Jacob, Jacob who's now famously on the run for his life, that he has cheated his brother Esau, his twin brother Esau, out of his birthright and now the blessing of his father. His brother Esau has famously said to him, I'm going to mourn the death of my father and when that's done, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. And so he decides to flee for his life. It's in the middle of this running, this striving, this fleeing some 400 miles away that we enter into this story in Genesis chapter 28. So let's read together starting in verse 10. It says that Jacob left Beersheba and he goes out towards Haran. And he comes to a certain place, a nondescript place, an ordinary place. Right? He comes to this certain place and he stays there that night because the sun had set. 
And he takes up one of the stones of that place and he puts it under his head and he lays down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, Jacob, I am going to give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And if you and your offspring shall, and in you shall, and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, verse 15, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Man, if you write in your Bible, or if you underline anything, underline that. And God will not leave, nor will he forsake, and he will not leave until he has fulfilled what he has promised. Uh, verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not even know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gateway or the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it upright for a pillar and he poured oil on it on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel or Bethel. But the name of the city used to be called Luz, we hear. Then Jacob, verse 20, he makes a vow saying these words, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord, he says, shall be my God. As he's running for his life, he hears the promise of God that I'll bring you back. And when he hears that, it confounds him. He's running for his life, but he says, if God is going to bring me back to this place, then that's the God I'm going to serve. Yes. He says, I will serve the Lord. He shall be my God. And then this stone, he says, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And he says, lastly, and all that you give me, I will give you or give a full tenth back to you. Now, just so you know, I want to talk just briefly about that last line, and then we'll move on. And you'll all feel more comfortable because of it, right? That giving a tenth back to God is what we call in the church or what the Bible would call a tithe. Right? Have you heard the word tithe in the church? It's, it basically, in fact, we, we talked about it in our Count Me In video. I, I thanked people for giving of their tithes and their offerings. And, and basically what this is, is people giving of the money that God has given to them to support the work that God is doing on the earth, ministries, churches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to first understand this, and this is all I want to say about it, is giving of his tithe, he says here, it's an act of worship for him. Hear me. We give freely what God has given to us as an act of worship, not out of obligation. I'm going to free some people in here right now. Listen, if any of you are giving to God because you think it's somehow obligating him to do something on your behalf, stop giving. You're welcome. <laughs> if you're not giving because you love what he's done, because you trust him, you believe in him, because he is, in fact, your God, then stop. All right, moving on. Um, I want to pray for us, and then we'll talk about this ladder from heaven. Strange. God, we thank you for our time together. Uh, we thank you that we can come together and we can worship you and thank you for everything that you have done for us. 
Lord, we ask that you bless our time together. We thank you and praise your son, Jesus, who willingly gave up his life for us that we could have the newness of life and everlasting life and all of that, the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. Jesus, we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who can come in and help us to understand this passage, help us to understand our lives and how all of this can make sense to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here, the very presence of God in this room. So God, bless the rest of our time together, and we pray these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. It says right out of the gate that Jacob had left. And I've already mentioned that he's running for his life. He's leaving, interestingly enough, the very promised land that his father has just blessed him to have. The inheritance that Jacob should have is in fact in that land and Esau, his brother, should not inherit the land. But they're flipped around. That Esau is in the promised land receiving the inheritance when Jacob was supposed to get it and he's running for his life. And we know from studying a couple weeks ago that, that Jacob's not really an outdoorsy kind of guy, and he's living in the wilderness, traveling some 400 miles to Haran to escape death, I'm sure. And it says here in verse 11 that he comes to this certain place, and he stays there that night because the sun had set. Now, catch this. He's staying there only because it's too, tar it's too dark now to continue traveling. I think, I think Jacob has this idea in his mind that he has to strive and climb and go and continue to run for as long as he possibly can. He has this idea that the more distance I put between myself and my brother, the longer that I'll live. He's striving to hold on to life. And the only reason he stopped was because it was too dark. And he stops and spends the night there. Think what Jacob needs to understand. And I think what God lovingly comes in and, and shows him in this dream of a ladder right, whatever that is, right? he shows him is that, is that God is in fact the provider of his life. God is in fact the sustainer of his life. No distance between you and your brother is what keeps you alive. I'm the one who, he says, who keeps you alive. I will provide for you. I will bring food and shelter, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I wonder if we paused right here and just began to look at our own lives and, and got real honest with ourselves. Like, what are some things that you and I are maybe striving towards in and almost certainty that it gives us life. Like, I don't know if it brings the joy that you're looking for or brings the, the purpose in your life that you're looking for. There's just something in that thing that you are striving for, that I'm striving for, that we think we find meaning in life. And yet God wants to sort of arrest us in that idea and say, no, 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 that's not where your life is found. Can I tell you where your life is found? In him. That's what he's about to say. Your life, Jacob, is in me. Not this running he lays down to sleep, probably no preparations for a, a cot or a bed. He didn't even have a pillow. He grabs a rock. He takes one of the large stones and he places it under his head and he lays down to sleep. Like I'm no archaeologist, but I'm pretty sure the stones they had back in that day are pretty hard like the stones we have in our day, yes? <laughs> they didn't have special stones back then. Pillow stones, if you will. But listen, my point in bringing that up is I think when Jacob laid down to sleep that night, it was going to be a pretty fitful night of sleep, yes? How, how comfortably do you think he slept on a rock? Not very much, right? Not at all. I think this is a, a picture of what Jacob's life has become. 
because of his deceiving his brother and his father, because of his conniving and struggling to be first when he's in fact supposed to be second and on and on it goes, because of that, he finds himself in this incredibly difficult situation. Laying down at night with that hard pillow um, makes me think about my life. There are times when I have to lay down at night with something that's very difficult and challenging as well. Maybe some of you do too. Like, what are the things that we have to go to bed at night and labor over and causes us to not sleep well? I talked to a friend of mine this week who got laid off suddenly. Like just, and all of a sudden with a wife and two babies at home, like his life just went somewhere else. I doubt very much that when he lays down to sleep, he just sleeps like a baby. Friends of mine are going through a transition. They're moving from one city to another, actually out of state. And and the stress of all of that with two young or three young children is, is difficult. I talked to a friend of mine who just came out of surgery this last week. And as the doctors are prescribing pain medicine, she's terrified to take it because she has an opioid addiction. And if I don't take this, I won't sleep. But if I take this, I won't sleep. Like, what are the challenges, the hard things that we have to wrestle with at night that sometimes cause us not to sleep? Who, who here would admit that you wake up early in the morning, sometimes three or four, and you say these words out loud, well, I might as well just stay up. Oh. Jacob, we see this picture. Everything that he's done has led to this moment. It, this is not the, the situation of circumstance. This, this issue in his life, this situation in his life is because of him. He did this. He did this. And yet, when he falls asleep, God begins to speak to him. We see that he had a dream. Now, in the, in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we oftentimes see where God will speak to his people in dreams or visions. In fact, I think God still speaks to his people in dreams and or visions today. And he comes to Jacob in the middle of his uh, sleep, if you will, or resting, whatever. He's probably just so exhausted, he just passes out. And God comes to him and shows him something. And he shows them this in verse 12. He dreams, and behold, there's a, a ladder set up on the earth. It's what the great theologian Robert Plant called a stairway. Some of you are hip. And some of you are young and do not know what I'm talking about. Yes? Ah! Led Zeppelin. Enough said. All right, so he sees this stairway to heaven. It's set up on the earth, and the top of it has reached into heaven. And then he says, and behold, there are the angels of God ascending and descending on this stairwell. Here's the first thing that God begins to speak to Jacob, again, who's in this horrific situation in his life. He says that there's a connection point between heaven and earth, that we oftentimes think that God is somehow aloof and far away, that he's up in the heavens doing whatever gods do, and we're sort of left alone down here to just struggle through this thing called life in our hopes to maybe die and one day be with him for eternity or something like this, just struggle through this thing called life, but know this. God wants us to first see that that there is a connection point between heaven and earth. And he sees these angels ascending and descending. Now know this, angels are not humans. Humans are not angels. If you've watched Touched by an Angel or have this idea that angels are very much like us, they're not. In fact, every time we see angels in the Bible, when they come to people, the people hit their knees in fear. 
Angels are powerful beings. We do not get to heaven one day and get wings and become angels. They're separate and apart. And know this, angels are messengers or workers of God. When we see the stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending, what God is saying is like, I'm working on the earth. I'm sending messengers, I'm sending workers to do things. The sovereign will of me who is God is getting done on the earth by these things, these angels, these creatures coming and going and coming and going. And Jacob, but for a moment, began to realize that his current situation is in the middle of this place where God is working. Now, how comforting would that be to you? To know whatever situation you find yourself in, that God is still available to come and to help. Oh. You feel it. Do you know it? He is keenly aware of every issue in your life. And the person next to you, he's got them too. And the person behind you, he has them as well. He knows what's happening. And he begins to speak to Jacob. He says in verse 13, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Know this, that Jacob would have heard the stories of his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, and they would have been obviously countlessly just telling those stories over and over and over again, how God intervened in their life, how God helped in their life. And poor Jacob, seriously, poor Jacob has never had an encounter with God, not on his own until today. God showed up. And he says, I'm the God of not just your grandfather and your father, but now I'm going to be the God of you. And, and he, he invites him into an experience with God that he'd only heard about. Now, to me, I rejoice in this because I, I love the fact that God wants to be the God of me personally. Not like somehow I just got into the family because of my family, if you know what I'm saying. Hear me, if you have some sinking idea that your relationship with God is based upon your family, maybe daddy was a pastor, grandpa was a pastor, your family did great missionary work, or something, I have no idea. I'm here to tell you that's not true. In fact, your relationship with God is personal. It's you and God, you and God. Your parents are great. I don't know them, but I'm sure they're awesome, right? This is the prayer I have for my daughters. God saved me. He rescued me. I could go on and on about all those stories, and I pray for them. My 16-year-old went to prom last night. <laughs> that five-pound baby grew up, and she drives a car now. You know my prayer for her is? God, save her. Save her. Save her. Show her who you really are. And do it before you did it in my life, please. I was well into adulthood by the time I became a Christian. I, I left a, a wake of debauchery and hurt behind me. I pray God saves her before that happens in her life. God wants a relationship with each individual person. The invitation is to come and to know him. And he comes to Jacob and says, yes, Abraham, I know, yes. Yes, he's kind of a big deal, I know. And Isaac, your dad, I'm sure he's told you all the great stories that we've had. But Jacob, now listen to me. I'm going to do something for you now. Ah, all of this is happening while he's sleeping, I guess, right? In this dream, the Lord comes to him and skip down to verse 15. And he says, I'm going to be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. Where is Jacob going? He's fleeing for his life. 
God says, I will go with you wherever you go. And he says these words, and I promise, I will bring you back to this land. Now, this is a great place to pause and remind ourselves who, in fact, is writing this story and who, in fact, is the story written to. Moses, right, the, the great person who's led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he wrote this story as God tells him this story. And he's telling it to the nation of Israel as a, as a sign of comfort and help to them. Israel would have heard this story as those wandering through the wilderness saying, I wonder if we'll ever get back to the promised land. I wonder if we'll ever get to the promises that God had given our forefathers. Moses is telling them that he said he would do it with Jacob, and Jacob is a picture of who they are, so they're hearing it in their own lives. God will never leave us, they say. God has made a promise to us, they say. God will bring us back, they say. This moment changed Jacob's life. He says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. The Bible also says that God is not like a man that he would lie. When God speaks, it's true. And he says, I will promise to bring you back. It says after this that uh, Jacob uh, awoke from his sleep and says, uh, surely the Lord is in this place. I could think of a whole bunch of other things I would have said had just had that vision, right? The Lord is in this place, OMG, right? And then he says, and I didn't even know it. my prayer would be that we would never utter that phrase in our lives. That no matter what situation we find ourselves, do we ever feel abandoned by God? Jacob's in a, a crazy situation because of the dumb things he's done. Like some of you, maybe. Some of like me, maybe. And yet he didn't even know God's presence was with him. I hope we always know that no matter what we've done and what we continue to do, sometimes we do really boneheaded things. Just nod at me if you agree. Yes, nudge the person next to you who's a bonehead as well. Yes, yes. Michael, wake up. Thank you. And, uh, but God is with us in that. He's, he's in the middle of that. It's encouraging for us to see that. And when he wakes up, he says, the Lord is in this place. I did not know. And he, he, he sets this stone up in verse 16, 18, sorry. The next morning, he takes this stone and he sets it up as a pillar or as a monument to what God has done. This is that thing that, that second thing I, I understood in that hospital room 16 years ago, that the most simple or mundane things become sacred places or holy places. This experience that Jacob has had in, in this dream, in this vision, if you will, with the Lord, it's marked this place, this certain nondescript location. He stands this stone up, pours oil upon it, anoints it and says, this is where God is, right here. And when he makes his way back in 20 years from Haran to go back to the promised land, he'll pass that same stone and he'll have a memory of what God did for him there. I think you and I oftentimes don't do that enough. I don't mean like walk around your yard pouring oil on stuff, in the, right? Or your neighbor's rocks as you stand them up. That's strange. But I'm telling you, what we need to be doing is reminding ourselves that God does things in our lives and build, so to speak, monuments there that we might remember them. I praise the Lord and I say this with, I, I hope, 100% um, truth in what I'm about to say. I oftentimes lie, just so you know. So I'm a pastor. It makes my job real difficult too, you know. <laughs> but I sometimes lie. I don't mean to. I just do sometimes. 
It's usually to those two children I was talking to you about earlier. <laughs> um, every time I drive down Lakeshore Drive and I pass St. Mary's Hospital, I remember God meeting me in that hospital room. And I didn't have to turn a stone up and pour oil on. I just drive down the road and God reminds me in that beautiful hospital, a monument to the experience that I had with God. Every time, listen to me, every time I drive by, I'm reminded of what God has done. I can drive by the church in South Shores that I became a Christian in and the same church that I married my wife in. And every time I drive by that, I remember where God was in that. And on and on it goes. And I think you and I have these places or these experiences with God, but we sometimes forget to stop and take notice of them. I recently um, got a uh, scooter, a little 125 thing. It goes about 40, 50 miles an hour. It's awesome. Um, And I'm terrified of it. (laughs) I know, it's not a real motorcycle. You can laugh at me, I don't care. I'm terrified of it because I'm so fearful that I'm gonna get hit by a car or something. And I was driving it on Friday when the weather's really nice, and I'm going to go pick up some tacos for lunch, right? You guys know. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm keenly aware of everything around me. Every intersection, I'm watching the tires of cars to make sure they're stopped fully, and and they see me, and I'm constantly aware. And in the middle of that that keen awareness, I began to look around to the trees on the, the road that were sort of billowing over the street and they're in full bloom and it's perfect and gorgeous and wonderful. And it dawns on me, had I been driving my car, I never would have seen this. I'd have missed it all. And I'm driving down the road paying attention because I'll die if I don't. <laughs> and I saw something beautiful that God does every year that you and I probably miss. We need to pay attention to the things that God is doing and make monuments to them. If nothing else, just drive by the place when you struggle the most, when, God, when you are in the darkest place of your life. Stop and thank God for what he's done. Some of you who write diaries and journals, God bless you. I, I wish I could do that. I can't. You need to pull them out and read them again. You've been documenting this thing, this life for who, your, your great grandkids that they'll one day read it. No, no, the Lord would say, you read it. And you remember that I was in those pages in the middle of that. And when you begin to look at how God has been walking alongside with you this whole time, your, your outlook on life changes. The fear that, that Jacob had as he's fleeing from his brother, when, when, when God comes and intervenes in that, I don't think he had any more fear. I think he went to Haran, he married a wife, actually got two, it's a long story, and he comes back to the promised land with God and God had never left him. The fear was gone. He comes back to meet his brother again. Oh, I wish I could, spoiler alert, it's awesome, just saying. He calls that place, verse 19, Bethel. Beth El, Beth Elohim, which means the house of God. This is the place where God dwells. And at the end of all of that, verse 20, Jacob then declares under no obligation or unction other than his own desire to do so, he makes a vow to serve God. He says, 
If, if the Lord is going to do all of this, if the Lord is going to walk with me, to be faithful to his promises, to provide for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then I will, he says, then I will make a vow to him as well, that I will let him be the Lord of my life. That there is the question that you and I need to, to ask ourselves. If God is going to avail himself to us in our time of need and take simple mundane things and make them sacred and holy, are we going to respond by worshiping him and loving him and serving him? Or are we just going to treat him like a life preserver and every once in a while our head dips below the surface, we just reach out to grab him and pull ourselves up only to breathe but for, for a few minutes thinking everything's normal now and to let go of him again. How about you and I, we just hold on to him and stay with him? What's interesting about this whole story is Jesus, um, he talks about Jacob's ladder in John's gospel. I didn't give you these verses, but you can read them later in your Bible if you want to. It's John chapter one. It's a really easy place to find. But Jesus is going around the countryside and he's gathering his disciples. He's, he's grabbing people that he thinks are cool. By the way, I think you're cool. Yes, and he, he's grabbing these 12 people to, to be his disciples for the next three, or three, three and a half years. And one of them, his name was Philip. And he grabs Philip and he says, why don't you leave everything and follow me? Philip says, bet, and he does. And, and then Philip goes and finds another friend, Nathaniel, and he says, hey, I think we've got Messiah. I think we found the chosen one, the son of God, the king of Israel. You should come with us. And Nathaniel's making his way to where Jesus is, and Jesus sees him. And Jesus has this exchange with Nathaniel. And I won't bore you with the details, but just know this. After that exchange, Nathaniel says this, surely you are the son of God. Surely you are the king of Israel. Surely, he knows it now because of this exchange that they've had. And Jesus then says this famously, oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. My word's not his. But he says, you will see one day heaven opened and the angels of the Lord ascending and descending on me, he says. Now hear this. This dream that Jacob has, this connection point between heaven and earth, this, this connection point, how God ministers to the world, how he saves people, is not in fact a ladder or a stairwell, but a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the connection point. He will famously say later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through who? Him. Amen. Ah, thank you. <laughs> yes. And we are under no obligation to feel the same way about him. We don't have to. He has given us free will. But I just charge you, listen, if you would just look back into your life and see where God was doing things in your life, even when you didn't notice him, even when you didn't deserve it, Jacob deserved that hard bed. He deserved it. Many of you and I, many of us deserve the things that we get. The consequences of sin is real in our lives. But God comes and he works in them. I have two friends, two friends who both went to prison for cocaine trafficking. I have the best friends ever. <laughs> and both of them would tell you it was the best thing that ever happened to them. That in the middle of that, in the trial and the conviction and the prison time, they met God for the first time. And looking back, they saw how God was doing this in their life and doing this life. In fact, God lovingly caught them and threw them into a place where they wouldn't harm anyone or themselves, and he got a hold of them finally. Amen. My prayer is for you and I is that we never find ourselves that far, that we might pay attention now. Listen, this is a, a loving, <laughs> um, 
wake-up call. That's wrong. Feels right, but it's, it's a loving reminder that God is for you and not against you. The question we have to then respond with, are we for him or against him in our lives? I don't know. This idea of God never leaving nor forsaking is a thread that is woven through the entire tapestry of scriptures. Moses, the the great emancipator who goes in to rescue God's people, when God sends Moses into Egypt and says, rescue my people, uh, Moses famously says, no. He says, I can't do this. you You don't know who I am. And God says, no, no, I do know who you are. And I want you to go and rescue my people. And then God says these words, and I will be with you when you go. When, when Moses dies and another sheriff's in town, so to speak, it's Joshua. Joshua is now taking the nation of Israel into the promised land. And God comes to him and says, just as I was with Moses, so I will also be with you, he says. Then the prophets of God, when one day Israel's uh, uh, rebelling against God, they've been pushed into exile. God sends the prophets, the voice of God speaking to them, says, one day you're going to return to the promised land. And when you do, I will be with you as well. When you cross the waters, he says, I will be there. These same prophets declare to the universe, to anyone who would listen, that one day a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God is with us. Jesus, after he was crucified and buried into a grave and his disciples are losing their ever-loving mind, wouldn't you? Jesus raises from the dead, goes to his disciples, and he goes, don't you remember what I told you? He said, surely I will never leave you. I'm alive. Death can't hold on to me. And before Jesus goes back to heaven, where he sits on a throne with the Father in heaven, he says these words to those same disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Father. And what is he speaking of? He is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the Spirit of God to indwell us, to be with us forever. Where two or three are gathered in my name, he says, there I am also. God is with us. In my mind, there is a much louder applause on that idea. (laughs) To be frank, you're a little bit of a disappointment. (laughs) The nine o'clock did much better. (laughs) I love you guys. I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that this simple story of a ladder or a stairway or whatever would be encouragement to us. Some of us in this room believe that because of some of the decisions we've made, God has somehow abandoned us. But how can you possibly have that thought in your mind having just read what we just read? Here's what you've done. You've wandered away from him again. And if you feel some distance between you and him, I I assure you it is not him (laughs) who has moved. It is you. As you slid away from him, the constant call is to return. It's what we in the church call repentance. It just means to return to where God is. Now the band's gonna come back up after I pray and for the next 10 or 15 minutes, we'll have a moment of singing and of praise. And here's my, my desire for us is that we would take this time to redeclare our, our love for the Lord. That we'll consider for a moment those times in our life, not 
not long ago, maybe even recent times where God has just showed up in the middle of our horrific lives, things we've done to make it bad. Not even someone else did it, we did it. And God shows up. And then when we, we remember that, then we declare back to God, Lord, Lord, you will be my God. I will serve you. I will worship you. And for the next few minutes, you'll see people singing and praising. I, if, the, if this service is anything like the last service, there'll be people weeping and crying and coming back to God again for the first time. It's just beautiful. And you have that opportunity. And then out these back doors and to the right, we have friends of ours that are sort of scheduled to, to pray with people. If anybody wants to pray with anyone, man, I'll tell you, if I were, I would stand up and walk out those doors and go pray with someone. If you want to talk with someone and kind of navigate through this, the situation of your life, we want to help you with that. And then maybe most importantly, it's just, just have a real understanding that God cares enough about you to send his son, Jesus. That he's available and he's willing, so willing that he gave his life for you and for me on a cross. All we have to do is just to receive that gift by faith. So I want to pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for everything that you do in our lives. I thank you for this crazy story of a ladder or stairway into heaven. God, I thank you that you remind me every time I drive by the hospital that you were there. God, I thank you that you're the Lord, not just of my life and circumstance, but the Lord of all lives and circumstances. I thank you that you are willing to interact with the world that you have created, that you've not just left us, abandoned us to the ways that we might go, Lord, but you intervene continually that you lovingly come alongside of us all the time and encourage us to stop doing things and start doing other things. I thank you for that, Lord. God, I ask that you bless the rest of our time together and that you would challenge us about our life. We don't have to be perfect, Lord, because you are the perfect one. But we should be obedient to you. So God, I pray, help us to be obedient to your will for our lives. Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.